What's up, guys? This is Jeremy Jackson, and I play David Hasselhoff's son, Hobie Buchanan, on the show Baywatch. Hi, I'm Nicole Eggert, and I played Summer Quinn on Baywatch and currently producing on the Baywatch documentary. Uh, hey, guys, I'm Matt Felker, and I was not on Baywatch ever, um, but I directed or, and am directing the Baywatch documentary and producing it. The shore on the beach, and that breath is like a wave. I had a dream. I got everything on. Did we miss Baywatch? Just seeing the show on TV and going, I'm going to be that girl on the beach. They had to wear next to nothing. Speedo? Really? Can I just wear the red trunks? Kelly Slater's become the envy of guys the world over. I looked at the guy who wrote that. I'm like, did you write this? They were the worst storylines, but they were the most fun to film. In the 90s, you could be fired for being gay. Very much part of the LA zeitgeist at the time. Multi-ethnic, multi-economic, that little strip of land right at the beach. Boom. He was already Knight Rider, Berlin Wall comes down big. He's almost like this unspoken superhero. It was one of those shows that had an incredible impact worldwide. Baywatch was what Instagram is today, a visual feed of beautiful people. I was so flattered by that and I reposted the heck out of it. She is such an amazing, grounded human being that is complete opposite of how she was portrayed on that show. They really hit the lottery with Pamela. Back then, we all wanted to be Pam. I think that in some ways, women are superior to men. I want to keep those superpowers. <laughs> the women had as many rescues as the men. I don't think wearing a bathing suit makes you feel uncertain about your authority. Alexander Paul, David Chokichi, Nicole Eggert. They came to visit me in jail. And it was very difficult for him. He's one of my closest friends on the show. So it was a secret that we kept. I never thought the President of the United States would ever utter the two syllables, <laughs> Baywatch. Baywatch is iconic, timeless. Really, Baywatch is a phenomenon, iconic. For me, uh, Baywatch is family. Baywatch is irreplaceable. Baywatch really delivered the American dream right into the living rooms and the laps of the rest of the world. That is the trailer for the upcoming documentary, Baywatch, The American Dream. And this is Factual America. Factual America is produced by Alamo Pictures, a production company specializing in documentaries, television, and shorts about the USA for an international audience. I'm your host, Matthew Sherwood, and every week we look at America through the lens of documentary filmmaking by interviewing filmmakers and experts on the American experience. Subscribe to our mailing list or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Alamo Pictures to be the first to hear about new productions, to find out where you can see our films, and to connect with our team. At its peak, Baywatch was the most popular TV show in the world, watched by over a billion people. Cast members were regulars on entertainment programs, and in many cases in the supermarket tabloids as well. Although derided by some as merely a show full of tits and ass, and there obviously was plenty of that, Baywatch was a phenomenon well ahead of its time, going viral long before there was something called social media. As an acclaimed observer of pop culture and social media trends, director and producer Matt Felker is making a film that takes a serious look at Baywatch, a show that still resonates with a global audience even 20 years later. His partner in crime is producer Nicole Eggert, 
a former cast member on the show. Factual America caught up recently with Matt, Nicole, and former cast member Jeremy Jackson. Besides sharing their experiences and memories of Baywatch, they explained how the pandemic is affecting their day-to-day lives and their ability to complete production on the documentary. In the process, we found out that Matt, Nicole, and Jeremy are just like the rest of us, making the best of a challenging situation and falling back on family. In this case, their Baywatch family. Matt Felker, Nicole Egger, and Jeremy Jackson, welcome to Factual America. Hi. Thank Hi. you. Thanks for having us. Hey, uh, Matt, maybe, uh, you know, times like these with the coronavirus and everything, just want to ask, how are you doing? And uh, we'll get to Nicole and Jeremy here quickly, but uh, how are things there in California? Uh, we're okay. I mean, it's uh, we're a little more locked down than other places in the country, and I think people are taking it a little more seriously than other places. Um for me personally, my life hasn't changed dramatically because I work out of my house anyways, yeah. and I really don't leave my house anyways. So there's really not a huge change. Um, you know, we've always got groceries delivered and stuff like that prior to this. So I don't really think we've changed all that much. Um, the only thing we, we really had an issue with is trying to figure out how to complete the movie because we were mm. pretty much about 70% done when we got locked down and we actually had uh, Jeremy uh, Jeremy got in insane shape because I, I kind of was recreating the the intro scenes of Baywatch sort of as this. Yeah. We wanted to use yeah. a lot of original footage rather than all this like, you know, sort of archive stuff. Mm-hmm. So I was, you know, doing a modern day version of all the actors sort of in their own element, but not in necessarily Baywatch. But ironically, a lot of the actors pretty much live that Baywatch lifestyle regardless of, you know, it being a, a part on a show. So Jeremy was like, shit, man. I just want to get shredded because Jeremy's into MMA and I, and I know Jeremy He's like a super, you know, he's a overachiever type a personality. And it just took me to give him the challenge to be like, you want to, you know, do a MMA opening sequence where you're shirtless, just looking like a machine. He's like, fuck yeah, dude. So he trained his ass off for, I don't know how many months. I mean, he should have been like one of those, like before and after transformations for a supplement company. Cause it was unbelievable. And we were supposed to shoot him and this dude almost killed himself dieting and we couldn't shoot him because they closed all the gyms on us. So we, uh, we couldn't, we couldn't get it. So, but fortunately Jeremy's always in good shape, but he's so hard on himself that he wanted to be that specific for the, for the movie, but hopefully we'll be able to, we'll be able to get that shot. And I think we will. I mean, I, I think things are loosened up a little bit and because we're a short in a small crew, um, if the actors are comfortable, we'll be able to to move forward. It's the bigger productions that I think are in trouble with the insurance yeah. and that kind of thing. Okay. I think we'll get more into that more uh, a little bit later. But uh, yeah. since we're already talking about Jeremy, uh, so Jeremy, how have you been uh, keeping these last uh, eight to ten weeks? Uh, you know, it's been an interesting, uh, it's been an interesting time. Uh, I'm no stranger to, uh, to dealing with problems, to facing adversity, uh, you know, overcoming challenges, finding a way. Uh, to make things work um, in lieu of, uh, you know, hard times, so to speak. But I think it's a very rare experience and opportunity where people across the globe um, are facing the same issue, you know. Um, So that's been an interesting dynamic to to know that the whole world is facing the same problem at the same time. I think uh, it's a very rare uh, situation. So, I've personally been taking the opportunity to invest time and energy into the things that uh, are important to me, but not as urgent, seeing as I don't have 
to keep hours at a job. I don't have to, uh, uh, you know, check boxes, so to speak, with the with the dutiful type of work, uh, and you know, get more into the things that are important. Just kind of manifesting, daydreaming, creating, um, you know, uh, new opportunities, stuff that I now have time for. So, you know, I went through all my closets and just gave a bunch of stuff away to charity and thinned out um, my life a bit, so to speak, and uh, spending more time with people I didn't have as much time to uh, to to share with. So I tried to make the best of it. And I think that's really all any of us should really try to do while obviously uh, observing what is necessary to uh, not get other people sick and or support the charities and causes that are, are helping people. So it hasn't been so bad for me personally. I've tried to make the best. It, it sounds very uh, familiar. I mean, as you say, it's, you know, around the world, I have calls with people literally around the world, and they're all saying similar things. And I think it's really helping us appreciate what's uh, important in life, actually. Absolutely. Um, I mean, Nicole, what about you? How have you been? Um, well, my situation is different than the guys because I have kids. So um, it, at first, it was kind of just like a weekend. <laughs> you know, it was like this long, long weekend, and it was fine, and it was fun, and we adapted. But then when it came to dealing with school, you know, suddenly I'm having to homeschool and, you know, keep her entertained 24 seven and my day to day. Sorry. <laughs> you okay there, Jer? <laughs> yeah. Jeremy's down. <laughs> man down, man down. Man down. Um, no, but suddenly I was having to homeschool and keep her entertained and my day to day in the week changed drastically because now I'm at home all the time. And, um, and now we're sort of facing this issue of, like Matt said, we're on a tighter lockdown than most anywhere else. So they're talking about not returning back to school anymore and doing this distance learning um, from now on, starting in the fall. And, you know, I kind of have a big decision on my hands if I want to stay in Los Angeles and, you know, deal with my child not having inter social interaction with other children, or do I move? to a nearby county where everything is open and she can live a normal life. So I'm kind of facing a big, a big choice right now. It's kind of a big deal. <laughs> I mean, no, indeed. I mean, how have you found, I mean, cause I'm in a similar boat. Uh, how have you found being a school teacher? Um, at first I thought I was going to rip all of my hair out because <laughs> it was um, a Google classroom and it's so is not user friendly whatsoever. It is, yeah. it was so confusing and we have all Mac, in the house. So it wasn't compatible completely. And it would say, you know, assignments weren't done. So at first it was this really like hair pulling process, but then we got used to it and accustomed to it. But I feel like she's not getting enough education and I'm not qualified. <laughs> if I'm going to be completely transparent, I'm not the one I never, you know, that was never in my plan. So, um, I, I don't love it. I don't. Um, I, there's there's nothing wrong with saying that I'm in a very similar boat. Uh, I mean, I have a new appreciation for teachers. I have to, I have to say. Um, Me too. Hey, so you're all here because we're going to talk about this film uh, that you're uh, uh, going to be releasing, hopefully sometime in soon. the in the near future. <laughs> soon. You know, soon. Yeah. Uh, Matt, I mean Baywatch. I mean, we don't even need to give it an introduction, but. Uh, Maybe you can get a little bit of a background on the documentary. I mean, why now? Or I guess it was 2019 when you decided to uh, do, start Do you want to get into how we sort of just came upon the idea and executed it? Or do you want to know why I wanted to do it? Or what, what do you exactly 
because there's a lot of layers to it. So I can give you a lot. Of yeah, and there's we're gonna. Uh, I think more about uh, what who was whose decision was it to you know why a Baywatch documentary and why the time? Okay. Yeah. yeah. E- easy, easy question. So, um, I had come off of um, producing a different documentary about social media, and I was on camera for a, a relatively successful Netflix documentary on social media as well. Um, so I've been working with documentary filmmakers for the probably the past like four or five years. And for me, even the sort of content that I consume, it's not really scripted anymore. I'm always drawn to either documentaries or docu-series because they're so well produced now and they're actually very entertaining. It's not just like, you know, after school specials for the most part, you know, with, it's just like a boring informational video. It's actually entertainment. And I feel I learned something at the same time. Um, for me personally, I always grew up being so, um, saturated and almost obsessed with media and what like Hollywood was, you know, throwing at us. And I grew up in middle America. I grew up in Wisconsin in the cold, uh, landlocked, you know, we grew up on lakes, but we certainly weren't by the ocean. Um, my family, you know, traveled a little bit, uh, you know, obviously we went to the ocean, but you know, a taste of California, a taste of Baywatch, just that look, that image, sort of just a lifestyle that that Baywatch was selling, not just the United States, but the world. Um, that was always really interesting to me. Uh, flash forward, you know, 15 years later, I, you know, I met Nicole, um, probably early 2000s, um, just out and then, you know, kind of knew her, but didn't know her well, and then sort of kept in contact with her on social media. And um, a guy at the time who I helped do his distribution deal and was a financer in a different movie. He had seen Nicole and I interact on an Instagram post, ironically. And, you know, he was a, he's about 45, you know, grew up with Charles in charge and Baywatch and was the ultimate Nicole Eggert fan. So he, he's like, dude, dude, how do you, how do you know Nicole Eggert? Like pretty much like hyperventilating at the mouth and, and, I'm, and like foaming. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. There's a lot of people I've lived in LA for 20 years. Like, I don't, I don't I mean, she's not like my best friend, but I know her. So he goes, dude, dude, let's do a Baywatch documentary. And I kind of like think, and I'm like, that's fucking genius. I go, yeah. So just the the timing, what I was personally into, and then having access to Nicole are really what happened. Now the financier at the end of the day dropped out and it ended up being me and one of the other producers on it putting the money up because we were, as we developed this story and developed the cast and characters, I just knew it was a slam dunk because the brand was so strong. Mm. Um, so, you know, we, we took the risk and put the money in ourselves, but Brian, who's the, the third party financier, I mean, you, I, he's pretty much the one that got up, us all up off our asses to actually make it happen, regardless of him being a part of the project. I mean, I'm still friends with him, so he's not upset about it, but that was, he was pretty much the catalyst of that. And he's like, Oh dude, so, so you thought the idea was so good that you're just going to fucking kick me out now. And I go, sort of, yep. <laughs> sort of. Um, and I go, it's just about the relationships, you know, it's like who, you know, type thing. And, and Nicole, you know, giving her as much credit as I, I possibly can, cause she deserves it. You know, she was pretty much the quarterback in the beginning because without her access to David, to Jeremy and, you know, a handful of the core cast members, it's not a safe investment at all. So, um, our first call was to Hasselhoff. She, she reached out to David and David was, um, in, you know, and, and once we had David, we're like, okay, Pam is great too. Pam is very important. But we can make a movie knowing we have David, you know, attached. And then as time went on, David came on as a producer as well. So um, six months into the production, David David came on as an executive producer as well. So that's that's sort of how it started. You know, and Nicole started reaching out to all of the 
cast member she still you know had contact with which was a pretty strong number of people core cast that you know people remember and that's you know sort of how we got the ball rolling it's kind of a snowball effect you know a lot of people say no to you at first and then like but so-and-so's doing it and then you know so-and-so has a great experience and then they call one of their friends that we don't have access to they're like you got to do this This movie's going to be great and it just kind of you know, you just hope the, the, the steam just keeps going and, and just builds and builds. So that's, I mean, Nicole, so when uh, Matt approached you, why did you, uh, why did you say yes? Well, I had previously um, pitched a show with Baywatch cast members. I knew that there was something to be done there. And um, I took it to every major network and I had about five or six of main core girls from the cast, the women from the cast. And we took it around everywhere from E to CMT, I mean, everywhere. But it was kind of as um, formulated in a reality version. And it just didn't, it just wasn't hitting the mark. It just wasn't clicking and it wasn't working. Every network wanted us to be like in a house on the beach or like to go down south and live in the beach. It was just all this, it just didn't work. And I knew there was something to be done and I just couldn't put my finger on it. So when Matt said a documentary, you know, a light went off because um, watching documentaries is what I do when I'm not doing anything else. And I'm a big fan. So um, it made perfect sense. It just, it was kismet with their idea and me wanting to do something. So I'd been in contact, you know, over the years with a lot of people because, um, and they knew to trust me because I took them to every major network. So they knew I was serious. So um, it all just really worked out. It was, it was timing. And, and Jeremy. Yeah, it, was really good. it was really good timing. Yeah. I mean. I said it was, it was very good timing. You know, it's, it's it, and well, it's and like you said, it's it's a golden age for documentaries. Really, it's I mean, it's yeah. it, it's it's an amazing time. Uh, Jeremy, um, when were you approached by about being on this film? And I guess there was a time probably when you must have had your doubts about anyone about whether anyone would approach you. Um, you know, something always seems to come up uh, with the Baywatch uh, cast or uh, vibe, whether it's a reality show like Nicole was talking about or. Or a, or a movie or a reunion. Someone's always talking about it. I don't think more than six months ever goes by without some kind of pitch or idea happening, uh, cast and crew signing. So, you know, Baywatch can't die, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sometimes it feels unfortunately. But, uh, you know, regardless, Nicole and I have been close friends for a long time. Um, we became closer friends after the Baywatch Hawaii uh, wedding kind of uh, TV film that we shot. I think it was 2001 around there. Uh, and I know Nicole, you know, and Nicole always has been a trailblazer cut from a little bit different of a cloth set aside from the, um, uh, you know, the, the blonde, uh, big boob types, if you will, uh, quote unquote, so to say, she was cool. She had, I, I respected her, her, uh, you know, her mindset and her mentality. And we saw eye to eye for a long time. You know, after, after Baywatch, I went on to work with, you know, brands like Ed Hardy, Von Dutch, Christian Odege, producing fashion shows, uh, being, uh, being of lifestyle and brand development. So when Nicole told me that she had, she was going to do a documentary, I knew right away it will, would be done right and uh, not uh, cookie cutter and uh, not, not that same old, same old, everybody talks about and uh so there was no doubt in my mind it was a project I'd, I'd want to do and feel comfortable doing and really show the cool cooler sides to the show and when she introduced me to matt and i met matt i just wanted to slap him across the face 
Uh, <laughs> You're not the only one. <laughs> I mean, this guy, like, you know, I'm, I'm not sure if he's better looking than me or as good or buffer or leaner, but there's something there. And I just want to maybe wrestle with him. Uh, and <laughs> You sound like brothers. <laughs> I will never wrestle with Jeremy because he would kick my ass. I'm, I'm terrified of Jeremy. I wasn't terrified. sure if I wanted to kiss him or slap him across the face. Let's put it that way. And, um, you know, he told me he told me about his story, you know, growing up in Wisconsin, like idolizing Baywatch, watching Baywatch, being deeply affected by it. And, um, you know, there's a lot of people that have been deeply affected by Baywatch and or grew up watching it and or, you know, their moms and dads did somehow, some way. It seems people around my age usually have had some type of experience with Baywatch. Some people like to pretend they never watched it. That's like the first thing they like to say. Oh, yeah, i never seen it. I say, congratulations, you're one in a billion. Yeah, um, yeah exactly. And then there's other people who will share that experience. And Matt was he was affected by it. And I'm like, wait a minute, this is cool. Dude is here. He's now, he's doing projects with social media on Netflix and he's coming into this Baywatch thing, which can get a little dusty and, and uh, you know, lackluster. And I believe these two are going to breathe some really cool life um, into the current condition and state of the world using old information. I'm so down. I can't wait to, do it. It sounds awesome. I mean, Matt, um, this gets to the point. What is the, you know, it's a Baywatch documentary, but what is the story? You know, what is, what, why, what are you going to be showing that others, you know, can't just find by Googling you guys on, on YouTube yeah, and things I like mean, that? There's, there's a, there's a lot of layers to the movie and it's, it's really hard unless you cut like a, you know, 10 minute long trailer to really show all the layers. And because no one has an attention span, you just you won't cut a trailer that long. Yeah. So we have, we have different trailers showing different sort of layers, and I sent you two different ones that are pretty drastically different in sort of the vibe and feel of the movie. Um, we also, I also hired, when I brought on, I hired another director, a Canadian director by the name of Randall Lobb, um, who's very, very different than I am. He's, he's a former teacher. He's super intellectual. He's very nuts and bolts. He's very informative. Whereas me, I'm the guy, you know, setting up the water shots. Your boob is up, you know, fix your boob. Like I'm the, I'm the, I'm the aesthetic person that's making sure everyone's lit. Right. You know, but I also have had a really strong viewpoint of what the story should be. So I lean on Randall for the nuts and bolts, the, you know, I've, I've never directed fully a feature. I've directed things, but never a feature documentary start to finish. So for me, when I started, I really wanted to insulate myself with someone that had done it a bunch of times and had a track record to really make sure the story was strong, beginning, middle, and end, you know, very, very strong structurally, because sometimes my weakness is I'll make everything look amazing, but then structurally the story sort of wobbles, you know, in places. So that's what I really lean on him for. Um, but as far as what we really are going for, you know, there was the Eat Your Hollywood story, which you guys can probably pull clips on in the early 2000s. And it's really negative. It's very um, sort of the ins and outs, like who was dating who, who was, you know, sleeping with whose boyfriend, who hated who, this and that and the other. And we all sort of made the collective decision that 30 years later, even though there is some sort of internal struggle with a lot of the cast members with each other, um, some love each other, some hate each other, some are just whatever with each other. Um, we made a collective decision, everyone, including David Hasselhoff, who I had a, a long Zoom call with a couple of days ago, that the negativity really isn't interesting anymore because the consumer doesn't care about that shit anymore. You know, young kids care about like, who's dating who, who slept with whose girlfriend. But, you know, most of the, the core audience now is adults. I mean, 
Jeremy and I are about the same age and, you know, we're pretty much the youngest people that grew up with the show. So that aside, we wanted to focus on the positives, the legacy of the show, where people are now, um, how cool, you know, their lives are, you know, Billy Warlock, who I flew to Telluride and, and Nicole went with us to film him. He quit Hollywood. He lives in Telluride. He runs the ski school in Telluride. That's interesting, you know, and it's not because he didn't want to act in, or didn't, you know, couldn't get acting jobs. He was just done. It was a new chapter. And, and I thought, you know, for me growing up, you're always given information about Hollywood and, and you always think like, oh, what happened to Jeremy Jackson? Like, oh, he just he must not be able to work anymore. It's for all these people. It's not that at all. They just don't give a shit anymore. And they don't want to be a part of the machine. And they just they truly don't give a fuck. Yeah. If you gave Jeremy an acting role, and it was in a great movie. I would get, I'm not going to speak for him, but I guarantee you he'd take it but he sure as shit isn't going to go out, slave around and do auditions like he was when he was a little kid. It's just, it's not interesting to them. Nicole as well, you know, people like, Oh, Nicole, she doesn't want to work anymore. You know, she, this, that, and the other, that's why she's not acting. She doesn't want to. And that's, you know, and, and some, some actors, some of them do, and some of them are still pursuing, but I thought it was really powerful to show people like, just because you are an actor in, at one point in your life doesn't mean you're an actor throughout your entire life. People change careers all the time, whether you go from a, a lawyer to a plumber, you know, whatever, people, sh you know, shape shift through their lives. And, you know, people don't realize Nicole and Jeremy were on the show. I mean, Nicole is like in her, were you a teenager, Nicole? You were either a teen yes, or early 19. 20. Yeah. Yeah. So N Nicole's 19. Jeremy's like eight when he started the show. So, you know, th there was that aspect of showing that. And there also was the aspect too of, um, Erica Laniac, who, who talked about it pretty eloquently, um, they just talk about ageism and how like Hollywood just puts you in a box because you became like a certain age. And, you know, I, it doesn't apply as much anymore as it used to um, because there are a, a lot of like, you know, careers that are being resurrected by people like Ryan Murphy and stuff like that who are, are taking these actors and actresses who have been working for 20, 30 years and, and you know, sort of reintroducing them to a new audience. Um, it's sort of the same thing I want to do. It's like it's reintroducing these people to a new audience and then drawing to some younger people and younger actors, actresses, celebrities, whatever, who may have not been on or, or been uh, around during the show um, or too young to really appreciate or watch a show. But to get their take on when you just ask them what Baywatch is and just see how even though it's not their generation, it still affects them and they still have like a preconceived notion of what Baywatch is. Um, and we also, we also hit a lot of, um, what's going on in the decade. I don't know if you've seen any of those CNN documentaries, like they're, you know, the nineties, eighties, seventies, that sort of thing. Um, we really have a, a whole sort of theme of what's going on in the nineties. The show ran from 1989 to 2001. And there's a lot going on in Los Angeles between 1989 and 2001. And, or even in the world, you know, David Hasselhoff is standing on the Berlin wall as it comes down singing his song. That's 1989. That's right when the show started. Then we move into the 90s. We have OJ. We have earthquakes. We have riots. Um, you know, we, we have, there's so many things going on in Los Angeles all at the same time while we have this little microcosm of beautiful people running around on the beach. So it's like this really sort of juxtaposed on what Baywatch is, is beaming into the world of what Los Angeles is and, and actually what's really happening in Los Angeles at the time, too. Well, well done, Matt. I think you've just taken all my material here. I can probably get rid of a few of these notes. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, no, I think it's a it's a very good point. And also, uh, I will give the uh, 
Jeremy and Nicole's agents the opportunity to come in and say, ask us to maybe delete that part about how they're not interested in any more uh, acting <laughs> uh, jobs. But uh, no, I think it's a point well taken. And I think this is also a good point to maybe watch a little clip that you uh, graciously provided us with um, that features both uh, Nicole and Jeremy. So uh, without uh, without further ado, let's uh, let's listen and or watch watch that now. I personally grew up with a single parent at the beach. And when I got Baywatch, I got to have David Hasselhoff as my dad. I spent a lot of my childhood on the beach, and I think that's something that never leaves you. You want to be grown up way before you're grown up, and Nicole was the one that I looked up to. Jeremy's the soul that when he trusts you, he will tell you everything. And I can see his soul. Nicole was the one who recommended the lawyer that I used that basically saved my ass. When I've put myself out there, it's something you're just going to let go. Like Jeremy's meditation class where you just scream and you just let it out. I work with drug addicts and alcoholics. Being a part of somebody else's victory, it's everything. Without that, I'd probably go nuts all over again. We all share this one phenomenal experience. I just pretend I'm saving lives, but really they're saving mine. Nicole and Jeremy were talking about, uh, Matt was talking about uh, how a different approach to Baywatch, certainly than what's been taken previously uh, from a factual or uh, uh, documentary standpoint. Uh, but uh, you both must have some stories that you could tell. What are some, maybe each one of you, is there a story that we're, you know, I, no spo you know, I don't want to spoil things for people, but maybe something that you're going to, we're going to find out that we did, did not know beforehand when we... Uh, when, when this uh, documentary comes out. Uh, Nicole, do you have anything uh, you'd like to say well, on that point? I mean, I think more than like a specific story, because yeah, I don't want to give anything away. Um, I think that it people kind of giggle at first when you say it's kind of an, an intellectual look at Baywatch, <laughs> because I think when you say Baywatch documentary, people think fluff and TNA and like, you know, flash. Yeah. And, um, and like one of the reasons I wanted to do this with Matt, I wouldn't have done this with just anybody is because, you know, I really like his sense of humor and his style, his aesthetic and everything. So I knew that he was somebody I would see eye to eye with on all of that. And so it's just really, um, it's people are really going to be surprised at the arc of the characters. You know, people were huge stars while they were on the show and then they had ups and downs in life and everybody's a success story, excuse me, um, at this point in their life. So I think it's just really going to surprise people on how much depth there is to everybody instead of just being, you know, beautiful face and body and, um, and really the approach we have on it. And, and, you know, like Matt said, you know, what was going on in the world, earthquakes and riots and, you know, Baywatch was the escape. And that's why it was the number one number one show in the world. And I think now with this quarantine, it can once again be everybody's escape for, you know, what's going on in the real world. So I think it's really kind of come full circle. And for the project, this quarantine, I think, is kind of a blessing in a weird way for the project, um, because it, it will give everybody that same sense that we, they got in the 90s when they you know wanted to escape all of reality and watch this fantasy show. So they'll get to relive that, and it's and it's a it's a warm, happy, feel good documentary. So um, I think it's not going to be what people are expecting. It it, it sounds awesome, Jeremy. What, do you do you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, it's it's a fun time because 
you know, we walked in our shoes, you know, Nicole was there, uh, you know, we get to tell the story, like she said, intellectual story, the story that most, you know, news uh, articles, the most interviews don't want to talk about, right? It's uh, Baywatch was uh, very much in a box of just beauty and or, uh, you know, the same old questions all the time. It's just manufactured. It's, you know, they got a preconceived interview that they want to land and they're not going to let us tell anything but that. So, you know, being on the other end of the, of the story, knowing, you know, the authenticity that took place, the hurts, the good relationships, the, the special moments and, or, you know, being put in that box and what is that like? And, um, how did that affect us? will be really cool. Okay. Um, I have, you know, a pretty interesting story specifically that I don't, I, Matt, are we going to talk about that uh, film festival in the, in the documentary? Oh, or I, I, I think I, we might not talk about the film festival. We should talk about it now. It's great. Yeah. So yeah. this is, here's a, a funny story that honestly being on Baywatch, uh, these types of things actually happen all the time. And it just so happened to happen to our whole cast and crew. Uh, during the filming of the documentary. So, uh, you know, when you're on the number one TV show in the world and whether it's hot and it's in the middle of its, you know, heyday or post, uh, post heyday, you seem to get these type of weirdos and weird things that just feel like only happen to you. So uh, I get hit up on Instagram from a, a page that, has a bunch of other celebrities and a bunch of great digital assets and they're doing a film festival and you know, it's in Miami at a prestigious hotel and the flights are paid for, the accommodations are paid for and it's just a real easy gig and there'll be all these perks and fun stuff going on and bring a friend to fly first class, yada dee, yada dee. We have this person and that person and you know, it looks like it all checks out. You go to their page, you go to their website, they got, you know, people from other series and movies and they're giving an award away to this big director and uh yeah you know sure i guess uh, i guess we still do got it you know i guess people still do want to hear from us and people are buying tickets and the whole thing is blowing up and it looks great and i'm putting this guy that's you know contacted me in touch with somebody else from the show and somebody else from the show is put, getting in touch with somebody else and before you know it, we got everybody pumped up excited to go spend time together in miami and you know, we can't wait to kick it and have a good time. And this will be great for the documentary. Why don't we bring the documentary in? And a uh, couple days before the uh, before the event, nobody has flights yet. And we're all calling each other, emailing each other. Hey, what, do you have flights? Did you talk to that guy? I don't know. Something seems weird, right? Did you get a contract? Yeah, I got a contract. No, I didn't get a contract. Okay. So I even called the hotel. Uh, do you have this event booked at the hotel? Yes, we sure do. Oh, Okay. I guess it is going on. There's a miscommunication, so to speak, uh, supposedly with the travel agency. It's out of the country and they changed travel agencies and now it's a big you know, mess, but we're going to clean it up. And you know, I'm on my way to the airport, the only person out of the cast with a ticket. And uh, I call the guy. I'm like, look, man, hustler to hustler, you know, game recognized game. Look, if you just like <laughs> are screwing everybody over, but uh, you know, uh, mum's the word. I'm not going to say, I'm not going to blow your cover, but don't send me to the airport and have me come out of pocket in an Uber and like waste a bunch of my time. Like the jig is up. If you know, no big deal. Just don't 
take from me. Like, I understand you wanted to make some money off a bunch of fans that are willing to pay for tickets and you pulled off some big hoax, but don't take money out of my pocket. That's not even going in your pocket. That makes no sense. Should I go to the airport or should I just turn? Uh, you know, why don't you just turn around and go home and, uh, and we'll work this out later. I'm like, wow, this guy just conned our whole cast into getting all pumped up to go to we Miami. The, the Baywatch Firefest. Exactly. We had a Baywatch Fest. Yeah. <laughs> I, I did not get suckered into this. I did not. When, well, when Jeremy contacted me about this festival. Nicole, Nicole hated that guy. She's like, fuck that guy. See, yeah. see, <laughs> see, see, see women have a radar for these things. Well, and I, 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 on these <laughs> I grew up on everything. I was five years old. I've been dealing with these kind of like, you know, jokers. Yeah. When, I, when I showed up on set and he was there, I was like, get him out of here. Who is that? Like, who's yeah, that guy? infiltrated our whole production. Yeah, he tried to just make himself at home on the production. I was like, no, we don't. Nobody knows him. And um, yeah, it's just it, it all smelled fishy to me from the beginning. And thank God, I was like, nah, you know, yeah, there's crazy crooks out there. And there's there, Jeremy there's a- with his pants around his ankles, bending over. <laughs> <I'm ready. laughs> I have I have to say the the ongoing joke between me and Ari Shofit, who's my lead producer on this, and he's one of the other financiers too. He. Uh, he and I, whenever we don't listen to Nicole, we always end up kicking ourselves in the ass. Or like, just if Nicole has a hunch, just listen to her. Because we did listen to her a couple times, and we we regret it. So Nicole I, is like the den mother of the production, and you know, we listen to anything she says. I, I think you need a little bracelet that just says WWND on it. Probably what would yeah. Nicole do? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Hey, I think. Yeah. Hey, Actually, this might be a good time to take a, a break for our listeners. Uh, so let's do that, and then we'll be right back with the Baywatch documentary. You're listening to Factual America. Subscribe to our mailing list or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Alamo Pictures to keep up to date with new releases or upcoming shows. Check out the show notes to learn more about the program, our guests, and the team behind the production. Now back to Factual America. Watch is one of the most popular television shows worldwide. It's seen in more than 100 countries with more than 1 billion viewers. Baywatch, the number one show in the world. The 90s was a time of globalization, and for the first time, entertainment was also seen across the world at the same time. Getting off the plane, and there was thousands of people waiting at the airport for me. There were villages that would fire up a generator just to watch the show. To actually make it onto the show that's being seen by a billion people, I was stepping onto this thing that was just like a rocket ship. The gravity of how popular it was. Baywatch is the California dream, you know? I mean, I can't believe I'm here. (laughs) Those guys, Three guys. They knew. They knew. It was a weird thing because I just felt like this kid from a small town. There were times where I felt like I was with Marilyn Monroe or something because people would treat her that way. You know, it was just, it was crazy. We feel in our hearts a compassion for her because she gets beat up in the magazines, but we know the real person. Pamela just exploded. She really epitomized where it ended up. She was perfect. Add a little more sex appeal to the show. You know, a little bit of that doesn't hurt, right? I've never felt repressed. I've never felt like I don't have a voice. I don't believe that I could be exploited unless I make the choice to be exploited. We had 
all ethnicities. We had females who were as capable, if not more, than the men. That's way ahead of the time. I think they were made more eye candy sometimes than the women were. No one is supposed to look better than me. He has the biggest energy. I mean, David can light up around. He's got a kind of a Cary Grant thing about him, that this is appealing and you go with him. He had a lot to do with why that show sustained itself for as long as it did. I wanted to be famous because I wanted to start an orphanage. I created Logan Fowler from me. I wanted to show that gay people can play straight characters. I remember when Kelly came into the show, and that was just really interesting because he was so revered. And You get that call sheet and it's like 4 a.m. <laughs> yeah, that's real. You're supposed to be walking sexy on the sand, but the sand is so freaking hot that you can't move. Let's have Chokichi jump from the Wave Runner and take out the bad guy going full speed. It was like the best. Baywatch was not an image you really wanted to be because the states did not respect Baywatch at all. If it wasn't for Europe, Baywatch would have failed. I said, Alexandra, don't take this for granted because it doesn't last forever. I started getting a lot of doors shut in my face. A lot of the same casting directors weren't having me in. I don't want to be the best anymore. I don't want to be up there anymore. I want to be down there deep. Maybe then I can just be. When you make a living visually, there's expectations. When you share being on a show that was the number one show in the world, it bonds you. It made us feel like a family. I still run into people now that I met from then, and it's good memories. Little sleepers like Baywatch, where everything just lines up in the stars, and it just launches. That's the lightning in a bottle stuff you just can't plan for. The idea became very clearly about the California dream. Welcome back to Factual America. Uh, we have Matt Felker, Nicole Eggert, and Jeremy Jackson from Baywatch, The American Dream, the documentary about Baywatch. Uh, we, were we were talking, we've alluded to this already a few times, but uh, I want to get to this point about this. Uh, I, I know some, as you said, you admit it yourself, some people will snicker when they hear uh, an intellectual approach to Baywatch. But... Uh, I mean, all great docs have their subject. We know this one's uh, Baywatch, but they usually are really about something else. I think you've already said something about the 90s, Matt. Uh, and yep. why, why did this film resonate with, you know, your generation? And, you know, this is pre-social media. I mean, you look back at the episodes, they seem, in retrospect, they seem quite innocent, really. Yeah, it was, uh, for me, you know, Baywatch was like, it was part of this brand of the 90s, and it's sort of like it integrated with other brands. Um, Calvin Klein, Baywatch, MTV, Playboy. There were these sort of like staple brands of the 90s that were really sort of controlling the consumer on what was hot, what was sexy, what was marketable. They were sort of in control of youth at that time. Are they today? No. You know, MTV is, you know, not nearly what MTV was. I don't think Calvin Klein has the power it had in the 90s. Um, I don't think Playboy has the the prestige it had in the 90s. Um, so we, I, I started focusing on these other sort of parallel brands too and reaching out to these sort of things that were interlacing um, with Baywatch. But I think the 90s in general, like Nicole said earlier, it was just like everything was just the right timing. Sometimes, you know, 
I don't think if this movie was done five years earlier or five years later, it will be as successful or would be as successful. I feel because kids, Gen Z and millennials are obsessed with the 90s generation right now in their fashion looks, how they dress, um, you know, rediscovering people like Kurt Cobain and all these people that, you know, we grew up with as kids, but they're new to this next generation, similar to my generation was like Grateful Dead, The Doors, like all these people that were slightly before us type thing. It's just how generations normally work. The generations before always seem cooler than the one you're actually in. Um, so between that, I thought I could really bridge the gap to a younger audience, um, really focusing on the 90s because people of that age are interested in that, that era. And then the hardcore Baywatch fans, which are probably between 30 and above, are going to follow it just because of the subject and because of the show and they grew up with it. So I just, I thought, you know, all the, the sub, you know, text of what's going on in California, in the media, with all these other brands was just, was very interesting, just from a marketing standpoint, and just the timing standpoint. And, you know, using the, the term Baywatch, the American dream, you know, politically, you know, you guys follow our politics just as much as the rest of the world. We're in a very interesting place politically. And even though this isn't a political movie, it plays on the American dream and sort of where we're at and what is the American dream? Um, is it the same as it was then? And, and is it going to remain being the same? That's a very interesting point. In fact, that's uh, also in my notes, Matt. Uh, but to your, um, Nicole, do you agree with that point? I mean, do you, uh, uh, you know, that that's, that's the appeal? Yeah, he's exactly right, because the 90s are everywhere. Um, you see Justin Bieber's wife posing in Baywatch bathing suits. You see all kinds of women um, recreating the Baywatch look. You hear Baywatch referenced in everything. I, I recently caught the show Big Brother, which I'm new to. I, I don't know where I've been. Um, and, and almost every season, they're referencing Baywatch. Like every, it, it just is, you know, it's just as back. And I don't think it ever really went anywhere. But when you start seeing the kids dressing the same way that you were dressed on the show, like, you know, I have a 22 year old daughter. And when I see her, you know, wearing almost the same exact outfit I think I wore on the show, you know, a light bulb goes off and you're like this it's all back, you know, and, um, it's, it's interesting because you're now vintage in a way, <laughs> you know, you're kind of retro, you're old school and it's, um, it's fun. It's fun to see it come back around and this new appreciation for it. And it's also funny because you look back and see how horrible the fashion was and like, you know, the bad decisions that were made, but, um, it, it, it is timing. And right now nineties are everything. They're everywhere. Yeah. But do you think, uh, I mean, Baywatch would could get made today. Uh, we we actually that, that's actually a question I, I ask every single person we've interviewed, um, and it it varies from person to person. I think it's more of opinion. My personal opinion, Baywatch to be made in today's day and age would have to be structurally completely reformatted. Um, the current generation is is so much more open to gender, to sexuality, to all this sort of thing. That was, you know, MTV was exploring that stuff in the 90s, but it wasn't mainstream. You know, you, you didn't have network gay characters. You didn't have network transgender characters. You know, it was predominantly white, you know, people. There wasn't, you know, anyone, of, you know, very many people of color. So if you were really going to create that show today, in, in my opinion, it's just an opinion. It doesn't mean anything. Um, I think you just have to structurally really, you know, sort of. You'd have to plug and play like a person for every single audience member, someone to identify with that one, someone to identify with that one. I mean, me growing up, a white, blonde-haired, tan kid from Wisconsin, 
I identify with everybody. I mean, it was like the greatest. Oh, I'm, I'm that guy. I'm that, oh, sweet. I want to be like that guy. So it, it, for me, it makes sense. But if you're, you know, an African American kid in, you know, in Chicago, are you watching Baywatch? You know, probably not. And, and attacking it from just a, um, you know, from a, a consumer standpoint or an executive standpoint, you really have to, you know, sort of hit every notch to hit a, get as much of an audience as you possibly can. And I think that's what they'd have to do. And so, uh, Nicole, how are you going to get this film finished? Well, I think that, you know, this industry has been really creative with how they're shooting things. Like I'm watching commercials being made during COVID. So um, like, like Matt just did the ABC thing. It's, it's very easy to set up, especially for interview style um, shooting, you know, to set up in a, a lit room and just have talent and a camera operator. Um, and then Matt directing them either, you know, remotely or, you know, from 12 feet away. And I think that it's it's definitely feasible. I don't think that you're even going to be able to tell that there's a difference. And, it, you know, the, it, it, people are adapting so surprisingly well and quickly um, to how to shoot and how to get things done. A lot of shows are going back into production. And, um, you, you know, it's like, how are you doing it? I know the Kardashians finished their season um, doing that setting up and then having them just turn on the equipment and do it themselves. I see a lot of um, reality shows doing it via Zoom. And they're doing a great job, and I don't think um, I don't think that much value is lost. I really don't. And it adds to what's going on. You know, it adds to again what we're going through. And this is this is monumental. This isn't something we're all going to forget about. It's a big deal. So for it to be part of the documentary, I think it only kind of adds another layer to it. Yeah, just to, just to chime in real quick. Um, yesterday, just to give uh, Nicole's reference some meat to it, I did a thing for uh, ABC News, and you know they, you know they're shooting with like iPhones if you want to type thing. Cause they just, they need the, uh, the content, but you know, I have access to the you know red cameras and lights and all that kind of stuff mm -hmm. from the movie. So, you know, I had a one person crew shooting two cameras, a proper light kit and we lit it that looked exactly like we did for Baywatch. So, yeah, yeah. you know, I feel, you know, by August we're sort of making a executive decision to really resume, um, production as much as we possibly can. Now, can we, whip people out like we were doing like we were doing sometimes five people a day you know just trying to get a, a, a big bulk of cast members no it's going to be a lot slower it's going to be probably one person a day it's it's not going to be as as quick and sort of like you know machine sort of in and out type thing but um we'll do it i think we'll do it and it's it, the thing that's nice too is because everyone is so it's so hard to get anyone to commit to it because people are like well what is this what am i doing and everyone's always concerned if you're doing a documentary you're technically showing up on camera talking to me who you probably don't know for free, you know, just to promote yourself or, or, you know, whatever you're doing type thing. And uh, it's, it's hard to convince people. So it gives us a little bit of a lead time to bother people over and over and over again until they say yes. Cause I basically, I don't take no ever for an answer. So I will just bother you until you pretty much give me a restraining order um, to get, to get the talent. Um, and it, and it, it works. I mean, it's, you never, you never, there are very few people like Jeremy or David that will just give you a yes out of the gate. Um, you know, the bigger the star, the, the more of the pushback you get. Um, and it's just a challenge for me. It just, it makes me, makes me want to, you know, make sure they get on camera even more. So I actually sort of weirdly, it's like a toothache. I sort of enjoy it. Um, when people say no to me, cause I just want to, you know, well, okay, but I got this and we'll do this and look at how great this looks and this is what it will do for you. You know, I'm constantly selling shit to people. So, um, but I, I will, we'll, we'll resume production in, in August. We, I think we have David uh, Hasselhoff set up for August right now. Um, because I think by then we'll, we'll know enough about kind of what's going on with COVID, 
how to treat it, how to prevent it, how to stay away from it. I just think more more knowledge will be given to us. And we're a small production, you know, at, at, at most. I mean, I think our biggest production day, we were shooting in the water stuff and we were shooting interviews that day. We had like a 20 person crew, um, but we had two crews going. We had a water crew and an interview crew. So that was like the biggest day. But for the most part, we can do it three people and do it via, via Zoom. Like my interviewer in New York yesterday was on an iPad, just set up to the eyeline of exactly where I would be or, or the interviewer would be. And you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. That's, that's very I interesting. I think when I brought this idea up to Matt and Ari, I, Matt, you, you thought I was crazy, right? A few weeks ago, I said, I think we can do this. I think we can well, set I thought, up. A- yeah, I, I just, for, for this, I don't mean to interrupt, but I just, yeah. my biggest concern is we spent so much, well, I spent so much money on the look. You know, I wanted makeup artists. I wanted everyone to look perfect. The little, little kid just ran by your house. Like little, little, little baby just in the background. <laughs> just like, um, you know, we spent so much money on the, on the visuals because I thought it was important because Baywatch was such a visual show and you can't really shoot Baywatch like a traditional documentary because you want it to be beautiful. You want to again, sell this brand. So we, we spent a ton of money on, on the interviews and the looks and the lights and flying a crew out from Canada. And, you know, there was, there was a lot of money spent there. So for me initially to go in that direction, I didn't really want to, cheapen the production, especially as we're getting into the Hasselhoffs and, you know, the sort of the quarterbacks of the franchise. Um, I really didn't want to, you know, waver any sort of sort of production quality just because of COVID. But I think we can we can match it. I think we can we'll be able to match it. Now, traveling might be a little different. Fortunately, we already did a trip to Hawaii. We did a trip to Telluride um, and stuff like that. Um, So we got a lot of our, our travel and location stuff, luckily, because I don't think you'll be able to get that. Like there was, there was a couple actors in Australia. I was contemplating on hiring a local crew and going to Australia, but I just don't think that's going to be realistic anymore. Um, I want to uh, maybe change tack here a little bit. And also I yep. recognize that uh, Jeremy, I, I don't know you that well, but I have a feeling this is as quiet as you've ever been for <laughs> this amount of time. So, uh, so I do want to get you back in here, but uh, um in one of the trailers, someone says, uh, I'm not exactly sure it is, but if not for Europe, the show would have failed. Um, uh, I will get back to you, Matt or or Nicole. Whoever wants to take this, why can you expand on that for us? Why was the response so different between at least what U.S. audiences supposedly were saying? Like you said, people say they never saw it; uh, it was dumbed down. And then those where the rest of the world fully embraced. I think Jeremy, why don't you take that question? Because you were on the show for a really long time, and when you're a kid, that affects you quite a bit. So why don't yeah. you take that? I mean, uh, you know. It was a pretty crazy time. It was some uh, pretty intense stuff, you know, getting off the plane. Uh, you know, you live in, live in America, you know, your friends from school know who you are from TV or, you know, it's, you get lots of, you know, sign an autograph here and there and take a picture here and there and people know who you are. Um, but uh, that time, in, uh, Europeans were just fanatics. I mean, I realized why they call them fans, you know, there are fanatical and getting off the plane, having to have human tunnels built with security guards so you could walk with getting pieces of your hair cut off, losing a shoe, you know, people, <laughs> people passing out, people have being carried, uh, you know, by security guards above, you know, clamoring hands because they're unconscious. It's, it was wild for me. I mean, imagine I'm like 12, 13 years old and these girls are screaming, weeping, crying my name. And I'm just like, this kid from the beach in California. It's like, <laughs> what the heck? Um, so it was cool for me because that was like, 
growing up watching Michael Jackson, idolizing Michael Jackson, you know, and then seeing that same type of response that happened for the king of pop happened for me was was pretty neat thing to experience. Um, but I also feel, you know, it, uh, it was the mystique, you know, it was the beauty of the beach and the interaction of the the perfect characters and you know, the, the, the drama and the adventure and that, uh, you know, that mystique of the California lifestyle being so perfect as, you know, driving along the coast in Jeeps and, you know, sitting down at the, you know, the, the, the burger shack, you know, mm. with all the beauty around you and the sun shining on you while they're like, you know, eating cold Iowa. cuts. In, yeah. in Kenny, yeah. Wisconsin, freezing my ass off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Eating cold cut hard meats on the train in, in the, in the cement jungle going to the city to do, you know, your job or to be at your school with a uniform. It's, I just feel like Europe was, uh, you know, they got barely any summer and it was dreary and, you know, all work, uh, and no play kind of thing much more so than this facade really that was California. I mean, most of the world was convinced back then that, you know, America was the reigning champs and our dollar was top and we were the king of the heap. And I think that that bubble has been popped. I think they realize, uh, you know, us Americans aren't as uh, aren't as with it as we led to be for a long time. So that's that's what I think. I mean, I think it's, 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 it's an interesting point because I, I can tell you, I talk to people here and they'll say, you know, yes, you're you're American, but I, and I've been living here for nearly 20 years now. But they'll say you don't know what it's like to grow up wanting, just dying to go to high school in America. And I'm thinking, I don't ever want to go to high school again <laughs> or in, in America. But but that's yeah. but that's what you know. And it was at, you know, or if they're an older generation, even you know, college was all Animal House. I mean, you know, it's it's this kind of image they have. And at the same time. Um, you know, you talk about Hasselhoff being at the wall, uh, Matt, I think you already mentioned that. And yep. you, you mentioned it to, you know, I, I think back in the States, some people would say, oh, that was cheesy. And we didn't even have that word back then, I don't think. But uh, but you talk to people here and they, it resonates. I mean, they give him yeah. a lot of credit for yeah. that. Uh, and they don't see it. They don't, you know, we're always talking about Europeans being cynical and Americans not or don't get irony. But there's nothing, no one's, no one here is looking at it that way. Uh, and it's it's a very interesting dichotomy, actually. Should I just add something? Yep. You know what? I also think that it was so popular in Europe, not only because, yeah, it was the American dream and it was delivered into their living room, but I think that Europeans also are much more comfortable with the body and they mm. don't look at it like Americans. Um, it's Great not point. as uncomfortable situation. And the humor, they're they're much more salacious and, and much more open and... Um, what we consider crude here is just a, a, an easy throwaway word, you know, in a lot of places in Europe. So I think that um, in America, people are a little bit uptight and just wanted to like snub their nose and say, oh, it's just TNA. Whereas in other countries, you know, um, they're used to it. They don't wear tops at the beach. Like it's no big deal to just see, uh, you know, girls in bikinis. So I think that there was that factor too, where they were much more open to the concept of being in bikinis on the beach. It's an excellent point. Um... I mean, we're coming uh, close to the uh, the end of our time. It's hard to believe. But uh, one last little thing I want to talk about is because um, I've got both you, uh, Nicole and Jeremy here. And I think it's an interesting uh, 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 opportunity because you both are uh, child actors or were child actors, got your starts as children. And um, 
you know, I know you've, Nicole, you've had your own trials and travails and we're not going to talk about them here, but uh, um, I'm just wondering, you know, you, you have talked about and, you know, I know you knew, uh, you know, you know, relationship with Corey Haim and, and others about how child actors have been treated over the years. And um, I mean, would you do it again? And do you have any regrets having started off so young? Well, I don't really believe in regrets. Um, so I would do some things differently if I could talk to a younger Nicole now. There's things I would probably handle, I would definitely handle differently. Um, but no, I think this road has been pretty amazing. It's been a pretty amazing journey. And it's, it's, it's also allowed me to be a stay-at-home mom with both my kids and, um, you know, really kind of get to enjoy being a mom and, you know, in the second part of my life. And uh, no, I love it. I mean, listen, I wasn't going to be a doctor, <laughs> maybe a lawyer, but, you know, I, I, I have no idea where I would have gone. I've been acting since yeah. I was five years old. So it's sort of, I don't know any different, if yeah. that makes any sense. Um, it's so, how I grew up. It's yeah. my first memories are on set. So would I want my children to do it? No, like, no, not at all. I wouldn't help them if they wanted to do that when they're adults and that's what they chose. That's fine. But um, my oldest doesn't want anything to do with it in, in front of the camera. So that's great. And um, my youngest, you know, she's only eight. So we'll see. Mm. We'll see where it takes it. But no, I wouldn't trade. You know, I wouldn't trade my life's journey for anything. And, and Jeremy, I mean, do you? Blame your stardom at all in, in Baywatch for any of the later problems you had later in life? Absolutely not. You know, I, I'm pretty sure I said this same statement uh, when I was interviewed for the documentary. But, you know, I, I don't believe that I am the way I am uh, because of Baywatch. I believe I was on Baywatch because of the way I am. Um, it, it, didn't, uh, it didn't create me. I was already... Uh, I was already that, you know, I was a creative kid who just wanted to perform, dance, act, sing. Um, and I, I did it at any and every opportunity. You know, I wasn't uh, great in school. I wasn't uh, great in sports. I didn't really fit in with the kids. I wanted to, um, I wanted to do different things. So I, I think it's an easy out, you know, for uh, a lot of people who may want to blame the entertainment industry uh, for, for stuff. But um, I don't see it that way at all. Uh, there's obviously trade-offs. Um, you know, you know, on the other hand, what type of trouble, what type of pains and hurts might I have had had I not had Baywatch, um, had I not had the financial freedom uh, to kind of get me out of said trouble that I might have gotten into without uh, lawyers and agents and managers to watch out for me and so on. So... Uh, both sides of the coin come with different challenges and, uh, you know, and obstacles, but uh, it happened the way it happened. And I think it was the way it was supposed to happen. And that's, you know, that's it. No, I, mean, I think that's very interesting because the kind of the point I was going to, wanting to get with this was, was, was Baywatch different? Um, you know, maybe Nicola certainly has perspective on this, having been on other shows as well as, a, you know, it seems to me and it, it comes out in the footage I've seen about it being this this family and certainly the way you've been uh, um, treated by your cast, uh, you know, former cast members, Jeremy, is it strikes me that this is a this is a very different uh, situation we're talking here. Well, I think, you know, and Jeremy's right. He had a, a really present mom who was there and a lot of kids aren't. So a lot of sets I've been on that are very different than Baywatch growing up. I, 
seen, I've seen things that would horrify most parents. Um, I mean, I've been in the trailer when packages arrive of just blow cocaine and alcohol. And, you know, I've seen it, I've seen it all. I've seen prescriptions being delivered and I, you know, and I've seen the predators around with the kids and I've watched boys be abused as well as girls, but the boys are um, a big target and it just, Baywatch wasn't like that. And I don't know if it's because it was more like young adults and young people and everybody close to the same age. Um, and it was fast and it was a big cast. So it was very different than um, a lot of sets that I've been on in my life. And I, that's why as a mother, I wouldn't want my children. Um, I wouldn't want my children to, to participate because I don't, I wouldn't want them subject to a lot of things. And I think it's great that Jeremy takes credibility for himself and that's Amen. what makes yeah. him strong and he moves on. But I, I kind of tend to disagree that um, the industry isn't a big influence on a lot of like problems that child actors have and what they struggle with hmm. only because I've seen it and I've watched it and I've lost a lot of friends and um, yeah. you know, it's not, it's not pretty. Yeah. I mean, and another point on this is, and I can't believe we've come to just about the end of a podcast about Baywatch, and we've barely talked about David Hasselhoff. But uh, how much of a how much of a role did he play in in creating this environment on set? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I just talked to David about three days ago on the phone, um, and we have stayed close and. Recon, reconvened, reconnected with each other at different points uh, in our relationship. I actually did my wedding reception at his home. He opened that up to me. And, you know, I, that was, gosh, five, six years ago. And I still have friends that call me and thank me for the opportunity to get to meet their idol and take a picture with the kit car that was outside of his house. <laughs> How cool that was. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, awesome. On set was definitely the David Hasselhoff show. You know, there's no doubt about that. And he truly is a bigger than life personality. He truly is one of a kind. I mean, he's just, he's coming to set with all of the gravity uh, of, of Knight Rider, but in red shorts, you know, and he's, he's yeah, a kid with no dad, you know, I had a, a single mom. So, you know, getting to show up to work in the summertime, surf at lunch and hang out, lift weights, you know, I'm like 10 years old. I'm trying to lift weights with my, my hero, basically, you know. Um, cause I did watch Knight Rider every day. Uh, I, I did go to Universal Studios just to take a picture in the kit car. You know, I was obsessed with that. I had the Knight Rider big wheel. So like when I'm riding around, so nice. and, it, and, yeah. it, and it had the little thing, the little lever so you could do the yeah. 360 on it. Yeah. I know. When I was working Excellent. at Universal, when I was working at Universal and Charles in charge as a kid, he used to be on the lot riding around in little, the little kit car. So that's how I, my first experience with David. So that's hilarious. That's amazing. I waited in like line for an hour. <laughs> yeah, I waited in line for an hour to get in the kit car. And just as I exited the kit car, my mom slaps me. And she goes, look, and it's him in the freaking leather jacket with the skinny legs and tight jeans, literally walking <laughs> through the crowd. I'm like, my mind was blown. Like as a little kid, I'm in the kit car and the real Knight Rider's right there. And like we chased him down and everything. Um, you know, when I got the, when I, when I got the show, huge audition process, usually people like to talk about the fact that I beat out Leonardo DiCaprio and, you know, Will Horniff and, uh, all these, uh, all these actors who, who did really well that were about the same age as me. 
um, and it was like a big deal. But really what it came down to on audition day is picking up his three favorites at the same time and seeing which one was lighter so he could look buffer as he picked us up and threw us on his shoulder. You know, that, that was the final decision making process. So luckily I was uh, small uh, and light for my age, uh, but we had amazing times. You know, I idolized him. I absolutely studied him um, and learned a lot. But at the same time, you got to imagine he's 30. You know, he's the king of the world. I'm a 10 year old hyper kid without a father. I'm pulling on his coattails. I'm bugging him. I'm, you know, all day, every day. So, you know, there was, you called it a family, right? And I don't, I don't know any family that doesn't have a certain amount yeah. of uh, dysfunctional uh, <laughs> areas there. So were we a family? Yes. A dysfunctional family? Absolutely. So uh, it was, it was interesting, but luckily him and I have stayed friends, stayed close and, and we, we get to talk about that now today. You know, we get to talk about, wow, where did the time go? That, that was our conversation three days, three days ago. Wow, where did the time go? Like, yeah. you know, what about this time? Remember this time? And, you know, uh, I thought about you the other day because of this. And now in life, I, I have learned or grown or been, experienced certain things that make me realize mistakes and 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 the specialness of certain times that we spent together. And we get to talk about that stuff. And it's, it's powerful because you, you can't really recreate uh, a, a situation like that. You can't, you can't buy wisdom and experience and time together. You couldn't uh, manifest a, a show uh, or a movement as big as Baywatch and have lived through it together and you know, gone off into life to, to re reconvene and talk about that. It just—it's a special thing. It's a powerful thing. Well, well, Jeremy, I think maybe uh, this isn't the first time, but we're going to let you have the last word on on this. <laughs> it's a—it's a, it's hard to uh, hard to believe we're already coming to an end. Um, I've got loads of stuff I could ask you. So uh, if you haven't been scared off, we'd love to have you all back on once this is all released, uh, and hopefully that'll be, be very very soon. Yeah. It's been a been a thoroughly enjoyable. I just want to thank you, uh, uh, Nicole Eggert, Jeremy Jackson. And Matt Felker for coming on to the uh, to Factual America. Um, I want to give a shout out to This Is Distorted. Uh, this new first time we've been in this studio. It's a studio in Leeds, England. Here, and uh, uh, actually, Nicole, Jeremy, and Matt. Uh, start with Nicole. For your fans out there, what's the best way for them to follow you and keep up to date with what you're doing? Um, Instagram is good. Um, Instagram, Facebook. I don't okay. Twitter so much. It's kind of a nasty platform at this point. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, I'm on Instagram at uh, Nicole Eckert. Okay. And Jeremy? Oh, you just call me on my personal cell. It's uh, no, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Instagram is at Jeremy Jackson Fitness, at Jeremy Jackson Fitness, or you can find me on, on Facebook. You'll probably get an automatic response to go over on my Instagram because that is where I'm uh, most responsive and okay. available. And, and uh, yeah. Find me on, on IG. And Matt? Uh, don't find me on Instagram or Facebook because I have private profiles that just upload really inappropriate memes. Um, <laughs> you'll, you'll never find me. Um, <laughs> but you can find me on Twitter. I like the nasty platform. It's, okay. the only, uh, it's actually the only thing that I have that that's, has my real name on it. Okay. And I think it's, uh, my username is Fat Melker. So you can find Fat Melker on Twitter. Okay. Well, for our, for our listeners, uh, 
you can uh, check the show notes uh, with this podcast for for some of those links. Um, I just wanted to uh, just remind listeners to please remember to like us and share us with your friends and family wherever you happen to listen or watch podcasts. And this is Factual America, signing off. You've been listening to Factual America. This podcast is produced by Alamo Pictures, specializing in documentaries, television, and shorts about the USA for international audiences. Head on down to the show notes for more information about today's episode, our guests, and the team behind the podcast. Subscribe to our mailing list or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Alamo Pictures to be the first to hear about new productions, to find out where you can see our films, and to connect with our team. Our homepage is alamopictures.co.uk. Thank you.